Hey everyone, what's up? What's up? What's up? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Colin. My name is Colin Egglesfield and today I am so, so, so excited. I think this is probably the most excited I've been doing this show because we are doing a special episode today just for you. This person who I have on the show tonight is someone who I absolutely adore and she is someone who has been incredibly inspirational to me and my acting career and to so many people out there. Uh, she's someone who lights up the screen and every time she comes on the screen, she just brings so much, so much heart, so much warmth, so much humility, so much grace, so much just amazingness. And I am so excited to have her on the show tonight because uh, it's been a while since we've actually had the opportunity to see each other. And of all of the episodes or all of the movies that I've had the amazing opportunity and privilege to be a part of in my 20-year career, I absolutely honestly can say that my next guest is my most favorite actress to have, our actor in general, to have been able to have the privilege to work with. We had such an incredible time working on Something Borrowed together, and uh, I learned a lot from her. Uh, I was pretty much in the beginning of my career and uh, during the whole audition process of going through Something Borrowed, she was a huge reason why I was able to actually be cast in the film because I'm sure you guys have heard me talk about and I'm sure you've heard other actors talk about how difficult the audition process really is. You have to go through a ton of pressure-filled situations to be able to pursue and fulfill on the things that we love to do as actors. And when you go into these rooms, they're not always the warmest or the most welcoming. And as I was going further along in the audition process for Something Borrowed, I uh, got to this, the, uh, what they call the chemistry read phase, where you go in and you read with the actor that you are actually going to be working with. And uh, when I walked in there, you know, it's, super, it's a super nerve wracking experience. And when I walked in there and immediately saw this beautiful woman, uh, there was just something magical about her that put me at ease. And when we started doing these scenes, there's something just just incredibly lovable about who she is. And that's the reason why she is so successful with her career. And uh, when we started to do the scenes, I absolutely just fell into the whole concept of, uh, of Dex and Rachel and uh, absolutely just our, our chemistry just is undeniable. I am, honored and privileged to just say that uh, she absolutely was a big part of me getting that role. And you've seen her on several other big shows. She's, she's known for uh, episodes um, of Big Love, and you know her from Once Upon a Time. You've seen her on so many other uh, films and TV shows, such as He's Just Not That Into You, How to Win a Date with Tad Hamilton, Melissa Smile. You can hear her voicing her character on Zootopia, but without further ado, because I just want to get into this and I want to talk to her because I haven't seen her in so long and I haven't talked to her in a while and I would love to catch up with her. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the stage, Miss Jennifer Goodwin. Oh, Colin, you just made my day already. How you doing, Jenny? Good to see you. <laughs> Man, this is so good to see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Where, what city are you in? So I'm in Chicago. 
Oh, wow. You're home. I am. I am. I, am. I came back here about three years ago. Just decided to take a little break from Los Angeles. I get it. Well, your yeah. timing was pretty, <laughs> pretty impressive. Yeah, pretty spot on, right? The world shut down. Yeah. Where in the world are you right now? I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. I am um, in a hotel room because my kids caught the COVID and mm. I'm doing a press junket right now for my new show Pivoting. And so um, I could not, of course, expose like hair and makeup people and, um, you know, so I'm, I'm in a, in a lonely hotel room. Uh, <laughs> well, you look great. It's been a while since we've seen each other. And uh, so you've got your new TV show Pivoting. Tell us about it. Yes. Oh, I'm ecstatic about it. I seem to only make TV series about three women. It really is a thing. I'm like between Big Love. I thought I would argue that Once Upon a Time was about three women. Um, Why Women Kill, and now this one. Um, I'm really drawn to these stories, which, by the way, Something Borrowed definitely had a, a layer of exploration of complicated female friendships, obviously. Um, so I guess it's like my favorite subject matter. So uh, Pivoting is a comedy about grief and it explores the friendship between three women who were part of a foursome. You know, I feel like I should have brought coffee to this coffee with Colin, by the way, I was like regretting that as you were doing your intro, I'm holding up your mic. But um, yeah, the, we are exploring the relationship between these three women who are navigating the loss of their best friend. And they realize that life is short. None of them, all of them have achieved what they were seeking none of them are happy now that they've achieved these things and they all decide that the time is now to blow up their lives so mm. i can also safely say that i'm playing a character who is making i would never make any of the choices that my character makes <laughs> like like just want that on record um but i'm having great fun playing with someone who makes yeah ill-advised decisions yeah well, it's a great cast and uh how would you describe the difference between who you really are and your character on the show? Oh, good question. Um, the character on my show is, I, I feel like I am, I am a manifester of my own destiny in all ways. I've always been very, very good about asking for what I want. I've always had the advantage of being very clear about what I've wanted. And my character is someone who has let life happen to her in all ways. So she married the first guy that asked, didn't know that there could be more to life than um, just filling someone else's like void and mothering his children. And she has really, she's, she's in a toxic and not supportive environment. And she just doesn't know that she deserves anything more. And I can say that I, I have maybe like an unhealthy amount of self-confidence and I just would not I mean, I just wouldn't put up with any of the bullshit she puts. Can I say that? I yeah, say? absolutely. You can say whatever you want. Okay. Here. Um, <laughs> I I would just never put up with any of the bullshit that Jody puts up with. So is that always how you've been growing up? Yeah. You grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, right? I did. Yep. So do in you feel like you've always had that 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 gumption and that self confidence to go after what you wanted in life? Yes, I really have. I mean, even you know, I had I had one parent who was extremely was my biggest cheerleader and then I had the parent who was supportive but also very cynical and protective and scared for me to put myself out there you know for fear of rejection um so I feel like I also was raised with like a really good balance of perspectives and I was still like ah, I'm going for it so 
Um, I had no backup plan when I went out into the world to be an actress. And I do think that the reason, like I, I got into my first choice acting school and I was, I had no tools, no skills. Like I think I might've been a dreadful actor. Which, which school did you get into? Boston University's, which at the time it was called School for the Arts. And now I think it's called the College of Fine Arts. And, um, and I also went to dream schools in England. I was like a school junkie. And while in the audition, I mean, I think in all of my auditions for all of these schools, I did what I then did at my very first film audition, which was Mona Lisa Smile, where I walked in and probably did a wretched job, but I was like, I'll see you on set. <laughs> and for was like, you in the hall. I think that there's, I don't know, like I, I look at it now and I'm like, oh, it's so like precocious and embarrassing. And I don't know how I would feel if I were on the receiving end of that. But at the time, I was just like, I'm not going to take no for an answer. This is what I want. Like, just putting it out there that, like, I believe I I belong here. And somehow, you know, things then fell into place in that way. So you obviously believe in the power of manifestation, law of attraction, that sort of thing. Did you always just kind of, you just knew it and you just felt like if I just keep believing and being true to myself... You just trusted and knew that something was going to happen. Yes. And I also feel like, I mean, the, the learning curve in that has been that it's not going to always happen the way that I think I want it to happen. But it will happen in the end. I always find myself grateful for the way that things turned out. Even if it's not like, like I'll think like this is the path. And it might end up being like the path, like, you know, veered off. And I wasn't expecting the veer off. But I always find that like, okay, but if it hadn't veered off, like I'm really good at realizing like I wouldn't have encountered these other people or had these other experiences or ended up in this other place that then that then meant that I had this other opportunity so I feel like it's also for me always been about being aware and open-minded about the fact that like I might be a little off in my like mapping skills yeah I think a lot of people and this is where my relationship with acting was because I kind of was late to the game. I didn't start acting really till I was about 24, 25 years old. Right. I always just kind of felt like I relied on my acting teachers and other actors to basically validate that I was good enough to Whoa. be a professional actor, even though I enjoyed it and I loved it. I didn't have that same type of certainty that this is going to happen I'm just going to keep pursuing this. I just, I loved what I did. And for the longest time, it took me a while to start trusting more in myself that I was actually like good enough to, to, to do this. Yes. Um, but you're saying like from a very early age, you just had that confidence knowing that did, did you always think you, that you were good enough to be a professional actress or you just knew that I love acting and That's I'm just going to trust that, if I just keep doing this, something good will happen. Yes. It's, it's not even that I, yeah, no, I never thought that I, I never actually really, un, it's not, it's funny because I feel like I walk this line of being, feeling like I absolutely belong here and I absolutely don't belong here. Like I certainly have imposter syndrome. Where I'm like, don't let them find out. <laughs> don't yeah. let them find out. I don't know what I'm doing. So, but I also feel like, um, I've never been, I, it's weird. This is such a weird thing to say and I've never said it before. It's never come to me this way before, but like I'm, I'm never more myself than when I'm other people. <laughs> and so there's something about, <laughs> there's something about being on a set or being on a stage. 
by the way, it's the same experience I have reading a, a novel and getting swept up in it and forgetting that I'm reading. And I go on that journey. Like, um, there's something that's so, I am at home in that place. And so I knew I just had to keep finding my way home. But at the same time, I've gone through experiences where I can go to like big Hollywood parties and I'm like, I don't belong here. Like, I know that these are my people and that we're really similar and that we're all yeah. like, we're all, you know, looking for the same things and we all need to pay our mortgages and we all like wanted that role that that actress got that just walked in front of me. But I also know that I got the role that that other actress wanted that I just passed. And yeah. And so there's, it's definitely like a mixed bag of like, I, I definitely know that while I'm acting, I feel the, I almost always actually do feel the magic, but I also know that when I step outside of it and look at it, that, that that's when all the insecurities, I guess I want to say, that's when the insecurity comes. But I think that what you're talking about with your experience with looking to other actors and like finding that validation, I also think that none of us would be in this industry if we didn't have, um, if we didn't have that vulnerability because then I don't think we could do what we do like we have to ask all of the questions or we wouldn't be able to even play characters yeah and when you're acting when you're actually on set and doing a scene do you ever do you ever question your choices or do you ever finish a scene and be like man I wish I would have tried this or I wish I would have done something differently every time but you know what that's why I prefer television to movie mm. If I have, as long as the show goes, right? Like as long as it goes the distance and I've been knock on wood, like lucky enough to have my shows go the distance. Like I feel like I get the time and the space to change. Like I definitely don't hold myself to some kind of like, I don't hold myself to a standard that is the character I already established. So I can watch the pilot of something and be like, I hate what I did. I'm going to try something else. And I don't have, I don't feel like movie making provides me those opportunities to grow and change in the same way. I yeah. don't love making movies. Making movies is fine. It's exciting and, and yeah, it's glamorous. And especially if the movies have like huge budgets and you get to work with incredible people. But, um, but I really, as far as process goes, I'd rather be able to like dig in my elbows, like mm. really like fix things as I go. I watch all the episodes of everything. I just want to keep making it better. Yeah. And I would imagine coming from a theater background, you've had that experience of being able to to work and workshop a, a character over a period of time where you've got that rehearsal period Yes, where you've done a run. And I'm sure when you started the run of a play, your character and the performance was way different at the end than it was. Oh in my the beginning. gosh, yes. And then at the end, you want to sort of like at the end of a movie where you're like, oh, now I know how yes. to play it. Exactly. Now, we go back and start like, over. Yes. I want to do all those scenes again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If only we could make all movies twice. Make it, watch it, and then do it again. Exactly. Exactly. And we've got Emily Ringa here. She's asking, what advice would you give someone who wants to be an actor? I am I believe in school, honestly. Like you will it doesn't matter. You, Emily, you may be the greatest actress that the world has ever seen, but there are going to be there are going to be tools and skills that can be given to you, just other opportunities for growth, purely because you are surrounded by people with different experiences and with different educations. And to be able to like glean the, those, you know, experiences and tools and skills from them is going to make a world of difference because what you're doing is playing other people. 
So there's no better way to learn how to play other people than to like saturate yourself in other people. And I feel like school is the safest place to do that. And I would have stayed in school forever. And if I thought mm -hmm. I had any teaching skills, I would go back and teach at school. That's how much I believe in it. But I have learned through the pandemic and having kids that I'm a terrible teacher. So that won't be happening. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure you are a wonderful teacher to your kids. Um, how would you say having kids has changed your acting, if at all? Oh my gosh, this is, I mean, I don't know if I should admit this. I'm going to admit it. I get myself in trouble. Um, I feel like I can tell now when I'm watching people play parents and they're not parents, mm. right away. And it's an, uh, it's something I can't articulate why, but mm. something happens to, and in terms of if they're playing parents, then I'm watching an interaction with a child, obviously, like not just that so-and-so happens to be playing a mom or dad. Um, I feel like I can tell because the stakes are, just the stakes are so high all the time in all situations. Like my life is just built on fear. Now I live on a foundation of fear. <laughs> just every, I'm so sure that like, I'm not sure that something terrible is going to happen. That sounds awful. And it is awful. But I just mean like my life is about preventing bad things. Now. <laughs> like that's, that's sort of like the driving force in all ways. Um, and I feel like I see that on camera and I'm sure that I bring that then to my characters who are parents. Mm -hmm. I had to play someone who's not a parent. No. Since I had kids, I have not played someone who is not, oh, except for in a play, I did play someone who was not a parent. Um, but yeah, that ends up also being something I guess I gravitate towards is like roles where there is mothering, for sure. And it's changed my career path categorically because I thought that I was going to take my kids along for the ride. And then the way I've put it before is that I had the kids and then I realized that they're the ride. So it's a lot less about where my kids fit into my life as an actress and entirely about like where I can kind of fit acting into my life as a mom. Nice. Um, and not any kind of self-sacrificial way because I also don't think you have to like give up your identity in any way to be a great yeah. mom. But I just mean like the logistics of being a mom changed the logistics of me being an actress. Cause like, no, I'm not going to go film something in South Africa for six months because my kids are in school and they really like their friends and they really like this like after school Lego class that they'll get to go back to after the pandemic. And like, it's their turn to mm. have those experiences. And I know that like South Africa will wait for me, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 It takes a huge amount of trust. And uh, that's something I think I know I admire about you is that you just seem to have this like unshakable trust in what you believe in, which is incredibly admirable. And, uh, you know, just watching your character on pivoting. What I do like about the three women is that they are incredibly realistic. I think we all know those characters. Um, you know, you find yourself in your life in your 30s and 40s, and sometimes you wake up and you realize, like, how did how did I end up here? And it's yeah. the choices that we make that, you know, whether we are conscious of them or not, eventually our choices catch up to us. And what I like about the show is that. Uh, you guys are now dealing with the consequences of the choices that you have made. I and steal that. <laughs> I need to like write this down. I'm going to steal this when I'm talking about the show. It's and, so well put. Yeah. And, and what's great about the show is that no matter where each of these three women find themselves at, it's, you know, losing someone as close to you, your, your characters as your best friend was, 
you know, when you, when you wake up and you find yourself in these types of situations where there's loss or you're, you wake up and someone leaves you or a relationship breaks up, it's like the, the best thing you can do is just what is that next best step and try to navigate yourself through this, this place in our lives where the things are, are completely different, especially nowadays where nothing is traditional anymore. And I think a lot of people can relate to these three characters. And if you haven't seen Pivoting, I would highly recommend you guys watching it because, again, these characters are very relatable. And I feel like I'm sitting there watching like all of my like some of my best friends dealing with the same things that, you know, we're dealing with raising kids. I don't have kids myself, but, you know, my sister and my brother have kids. A lot of my friends have kids. And just some days you're just like. I don't want to go home to my kids as much as I love them. Yes, yes, 100%. By the way, yesterday I had this experience because I've been doing a press junket here and I got off early and I was like, I've got to rush home. And I told the kids I was coming home. And I was like, what am I doing? I was in a luxury hotel. I could have just watched movies or read books Mm -hmm. and ordered room service and told them I was still at work. And I didn't. I just like by default, like I just ran. Because yes, you don't always want to be... You don't, you don't always want to be on your duty. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure there's been uh, a lot of great things about being a parent and being a wife that, uh, that I'm sure you enjoyed. So speaking of relationships, you are married to a very hunky dude named Josh yep. Dallas. Yep. And you happened to meet him on Once Upon a Time, right? Dead. So was it I love did. at first sight when you guys first started working together? Oh my gosh, yeah. Now, like full disclosure, both of our dance cards were full when we Mm. met. So I thought, but the thing is, he did categorically, he was a big pivot in my life because I, um, I realized that what I wanted was someone just like him, but I actually didn't think it was going to be him. Mm. So he very quickly became like the best friend I had ever had. And I knew I was like crazy attracted to him. And I hadn't ever realized that those two ideas could be like, um, I thought that those were mutually exclusive ideas, right? Like I thought that I would either marry a best friend or I would marry someone that we had something like hot and lusty, but like, you know, the quest, our foundation was questionable. And I met him and I was like, oh no, he's the whole package. So I just have to find somebody like Josh. And so... I was thrilled when I think we were like, I mean, I know exactly when it was. It was uh, in our seventh episode of the show when we had the talk about possibly, we both of our dance cards had freed up and we mm. had the talk about possibly getting together. And we thought for sure it would never work because we're both actors and we're both working together. Um, but we decided to go for it anyway with the understanding that when we broke up, one of us was going to have to leave the show and that someone was going to have to be him. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was not leaving my role as Snow White. No, so of course not. I was going to have to be written off if we if things got bad enough that we needed to be separated. So we agreed, like we shook on it and we went on a date and we were going to take things really slowly. And then we like moved in together and got pregnant and got married and all of that. And that was like 11 years ago. Wow. So Mm -hmm. it happened pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, all like we were living together by our second season of the show. 
And what would you say is, uh, what are some keys in your opinion? Uh, what are some keys to a successful relationship? We are super good at saying we're sorry. Mm. We're really, really, really good at maybe even sometimes taking, like he probably takes more, oh man, he's going to listen to this and I'm going to get busted. He probably takes responsibility for more than he has to. And I'm just like, and he'll apologize for something that probably I should have apologized for because um, he's even better at it than I am. And I'll be like, yeah, it's okay. But really, I'm the one that should have apologized in that particular situation. But we're really good at that. Um, I think that we're very good communicators. Like we understand how to not put ourselves in stupid situations. So we do have like rules. Like, mm. you know, we work apart a lot. So we're not going to put ourselves in like, situations that would make the other person uncomfortable even though they're not there to see that situation like there's just no reason for me to like go over to a male co-star's house and like watch a movie by ourselves like why that's a date that's a date and it's not it's <laughs> like like why like we're not going to put ourselves in these situations like you can go out to dinner with your co-star yeah but like there's yeah. no reason to like be in a hotel room like on location on a bed watching a movie like it's just not like why put yourself in these situations um, so we don't do anything that would make the other person uncomfortable. Um, and I think that and there's nothing sacrificed in doing that, obviously. Um, and I also like, that's not a compromise of any kind. And then I would also say, I mean, we also have the <laughs> good fortune of being like, we, I mean, I don't necessarily think this is always the best thing, but with us, it is like, we feel the same way about just about everything. So instead of it being opposites attract, mm -hmm. like we're obnoxiously similar so you know so similar sense of humor is huge yes and yeah. just the fact, like i think he's hysterical i think he thinks i'm kind of funny and just the fact that like you know we have the same opinion about like movies and people and like we can be at a dinner and we will be kicking like if, if our dinner guests is like if things aren't going well like we would be the couple kicking each other under the table like can you believe that mm -hmm. this is happening and this person is saying like we're kind of obnoxious like that what do you think are some of the most difficult things about maintaining a relationship when you guys, I mean, do you guys travel and shoot in different locations? Are you All apart the time. from each other a lot? We are. I mean, especially because he shoots, he stars on a show called Manifest for, well, it used to be on NBC. Now it's on Netflix. And he shoots it in New York. And mm. I won't leave LA unless he's home to be with the kids because we take, we had decided when we had kids to take turns. And so in our taking turns for the most part, I've been like, we will take turns leaving the city. And basically that's, you will leave and I will stay home. <laughs> so I stay with the kids. Um, cause I, I mean, he can't bear to be away from them, but like we couldn't like manifest with such, like it was the script of the year that he had read that he wanted so badly. Um, and so I was like, go just FaceTime us all the time. So he FaceTimes us like we're on Facebook. He's fa I had to turn my phone over because he keeps FaceTiming right now. because he forgot. <laughs> Come on, Josh. We're, we're having a conversation. He hates it too. Cause sometimes I'll be in the middle of something. I'll hold him up. I'll be like, and here he is. Um, but yeah, so we, he comes home and visits as much as possible. And that was very difficult from during the pandemic. But also we, I feel like we're really good at missing each other. And it's sort of always like we're dating a little bit in that. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. That's great. And speaking of romances, so you've been acting for quite some time now. Uh, besides Dex and Rachel, what were some of your most favorite romantic relationships 
I guess, maybe other than Josh, uh, that you've got to portray in your career? Oh, my gosh. I mean, big love was the relationship of a lifetime. <laughs> One that I would never have experienced in real life, like playing a sister wife. Um, I would say that. I would say most of my most of my roles have been based on um, resource material, which I find fascinating. Like, I don't do a lot of original things in that. I mean, I guess they're original, but like, you know, I, I've played real, you know, real life people several times, or I pay, played characters based on books or fairy tales. Um, the the project I'm doing right now, pivoting, is autobiographical for the writer. We all know mm. what writer. I don't know if the friends know, but we know what friends of hers were playing. Um, and so I have had the, yeah, the great fortune of playing characters with like really interesting, sometimes real lives. So like, I loved playing Vivian Liberto and Walk the Line and being in, like, I felt like I was like, oh yeah, now I know what it's like to be married to Johnny Cash and I, I would pass. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a wonderful experience. It was wonderful to go, get to like step into, step into her shoes for a while or to play you know, Jacqueline Kennedy for a while and be in that great romance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of them, I feel like I've gotten to have a lot of really fun. I mean, Dex, Dex is up there. Dex is up there. Also great resource material. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm curious, would you ever be able to be a sister wife with two other women to another man, to a man? Oh my gosh, I offered... One of my best friends, um, Josh's donation, because <laughs> she wanted to, she she decided she wanted a single mom it. And I was like, you should have a baby with Josh. Like, it would be great. And Josh and my best friend were like, this, like, let us spell out for you all the ways in which this is a terrible idea. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why it's terrible. You're both wonderful. I'm not saying you can sleep together. I'm saying that, like, you can have his donation. And then you will make a wonderful human, but they put the kibosh on this. I do think that mm. I could absolutely um, like have some kind of sister wifey relationship with women as long as they weren't sleeping with my husband. <laughs> so because I mean it kind of defeats the purpose. But I get I like understand the like I'm a girl's girl. I have such a tight-knit group of girlfriends. I could totally mm. see us all living in a house together, but no, they can't actually touch my husband. Did you actually, while you were working on Big Love, did you actually do real research and meet some of these Mormon women who have, who share a husband? We did, I mean, I felt at the time that I could have taught, I could have taught actually in that situation, a college level course on uh, fundamentalist polygamy. Um, and we did, we had access to a lot of material like interviews and things that um, were a little more, like uh, a little more inaccessible to people. Um, and we had private, I'll say like private consultants helping us, but they were all anonymous. Like they all had to, their identities had burned. But they're, yeah, we tried to be as accurate as possible. Okay. With the information we were able to get. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a man, I think like what you were saying was earlier on that you weren't going to settle. And that you just want to make sure that obviously who you're going to get married with is someone that, that is your person. And that's the reason why, you know, after all these long years, I've been single as well, because I've met, 
obviously we meet a lot of different people in our lives. And, um, you know, I think for me, it's been a matter of timing. It's been a matter of just situational. And uh, a big part of it too has been, I've met different women and I'm like, oh, there's, I'd love this part of this woman. I'd like this part of this woman. And the idea of being married to three women, I'm almost like, <laughs> that might actually be perfect. Like, right? But then you really need to watch Big Love because I had a lot of people come up to me <laughs> after that show started airing and they said, thank you for this show because my husband or my boyfriend wanted to bring more women into our lives until we watched your show. Ah, It's a lot of responsibility. Yes, a lot of work pleasing three women. I mean, it's hard enough to please one woman. I'm sure pleasing three is, yeah, much more difficult. Um, so when Something Borrowed came across your, you know, when you're, you're acting dance card, um, was it something, did you, were you aware of the books by Emily Giffen? Was it something that uh, you heard about and, you know, were you very early on in the process, a part of the project? I was sent the script. I had heard of the books. I hadn't read them. And I was sent the script. And I remember exactly where I was. I, I remember exactly how it went down. I was, it was nighttime. And um, this was back in the day too, when um, agents like printed out our scripts. Remember those days? And you would like get a, you'd have like a stack of scripts delivered to you by a messenger um, before we were reading everything on a computer. And um, I remember going through scripts. I was in my big love trailer and it was, we had a long night shoot and I was like, well, I'm going to read some of these scripts. And I read something borrowed and I picked up my flip phone and I called my reps and I said, I want this. Like, this is, this is, this is the next thing that we're going after. And um, I also remember where I was when I got the phone call that it was going to happen, which was coming out of the El Capitan Theater, the Disney Theater on Hollywood Boulevard when I got that phone call and I started screaming and jumping up and down. But in the middle of that, I went and I sat down with um, several of the people involved in the film and we had coffee and we talked about why I wanted to play the role. And what was it about the script when you read it? You were because I mean, obviously you, we get tons of scripts all the time. What was it about this story that you were like, yes, this is the one that I want to do? Okay, this is crazy. It's a scene that they tried to cut from the movie. Which one? So it's the morning after scene where Dex said, I wasn't that drunk. Ah. And really? I, and by the way, you know that they tried to cut it and I went into the studio and I sat down with my reps at the studio and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to explain to you why you cannot. Cut this. Yeah. Why would they want to cut it? Well, there was an idea floating around that it, that for him to admit he wasn't that drunk meant that he was, that Dex was um, like, they didn't like that. He was knowingly making a bad, like not knowingly, not making a bad choice, but knowingly making a, um, having knowingly having cheated they wanted it to be for a moment which is not like the book um they wanted it to be for a moment that he had um that you know he was too drunk it's not his fault let's blame the alcohol like he's not dubious he's not being you know he wouldn't be dishonest it was something that got away from him and i i was like but you've just you've you've butchered their relationship if you've cut this in the scene yeah wins the like the very like the, I feel like the premise of the love story, which is, I said I would trust a man far more for owning a mistake 
and for telling me that he like could keep it in his pants, but had chosen not to, as opposed to having someone make the excuse to me that there was anything outside of their control. And I want, I feel like I felt discounted as a character. Um, if I, I just wanted, it's like, I wanted Rachel to, to have, I wanted her to have her real love story. And her real love story was with this guy who knowingly made this decision and mm. made a mistake about how to handle it, handle it, but then fixed it. As opposed to, she ended up with someone kind of incidentally because they had gotten drunk and slept together. Like, I just felt right. that story, that's not a real love story. The real love story is he wanted to be with her and and he made the choice and he did. Yeah. Well, I'm and glad he, you did fight for that. I fought and fought. I was like, and I, I mean, yeah. I really, I got upset. I remember being upset in that room. You cannot cut this. You cannot cut this. Well, before the movie came out, I went down to, uh, we down, went down to San Diego and actually got to uh, sit in on a test screening of the film. So it was me and Luke, our director and, and yes. uh, a few of our producers. And it was interesting because we were in the back of the theater and there was probably about maybe 15, 20 people that they had invited into the front of the theater. And it was interesting to just, watch an audience for the first time reacting to the scenes. And it was the scene, of course, the morning after, after we've slept together for the first time. And uh, the reaction seeing some of these people was interesting. And then afterwards they interviewed and asked everyone in the theater what they thought about these different scenes and what they thought about each of these different characters. And it was interesting to see how it was pretty much split 50-50 between some of the people in the theater said that they thought Dex was was a cheater, that he was unredeemable, that it was horrible that you being engaged to someone that you would cheat on your fiance. And then the other half were like, well, look, he was really truly in love with this woman, that true love prevails. And that sometimes we find ourselves in situations that are difficult, much like pivoting, where it's like, it's not always black and white. There's no. not always the easy way out. And I think we told a really fine line with this story in terms yeah. of trying to make these characters as realistic as possible and make them um, make it as if like, I mean, this is, these, this is what people really face in real life. And yes. we don't always make the right decisions, but that doesn't always make us bad yeah. people. Yes. And especially when there's a scene where I go to my father and I ask him, you know, dad, have you ever gone down the road where you feel like, it's maybe not the road you want or should be going down. And right away he gets shut down. Yeah. And this is the problem in life where we may have a dream. We may have something that we truly in our heart, in our, in our soul is something that is right for us. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, the external circumstances shut it down and make it not an option. And this is, I mean, this is the, this is, I think, the conundrum that a lot of us find ourselves in where we feel trapped and we feel like maybe there's no way out. Oh. Um, have you ever found yourself in that type of situation where you didn't have a voice, you didn't feel like there was a way out? And how did you navigate through that? I honestly, I'm, I, so I suffered from depression when I was young. And I do feel like it's something that um, I don't know if I outgrew it or it was really just about like a lifetime of continued, you know, help um, and surrounding myself with the right kind of people. But I definitely feel like, I mean, I was raised in 
I mean, not to like stereotype, but I mean, I was raised in a, like a very Southern family where I felt like problems were brushed under, I mean, much in, much in the way that like Dex confronted his father and asked for help. And like, you know, we don't do these kinds of things. I feel like, you know, problems were often swept under the carpet and under the rug would be the better term, the better term. And I happened to have parents who um, recognized to cry for help and got me the help that I needed. Um, but I definitely feel like, you know, like you were saying, things aren't black and white. And I think part of becoming an adult, I think that maybe is what adulthood is, is just like, oh, I'm now in the gray zone. The gray zone is now where we exist. And it's all going to be a mess. And we're all going to make mistakes. And I think that we mm -hmm. have to be in a safe place to ask for help. And I think that we also need to know how to recognize people who are asking for help. And I'll say this, and I love this for any of the parents who are listening, because this was a mind blow for me. Um, I was really struggling with how I, I have really struggled with like losing my temper with my kids, being impatient. I'll handle something I feel like in a gross way. I'm ashamed of myself afterwards. And I had a girlfriend say to me, tell your kids. And I was like, why would I, I'm like supposed to be like the buoy and like the ocean of the crazy world. Like, why would I tell my kids? My friend said, you're giving them permission to not be perfect. Which wow. was a mind blow for me. And she said, as soon as you take that burden off of them, they're going to live better lives. So Ev, I am so religious about it. If I feel that I have handled the situation badly, if I feel that I have, um, maybe I've blamed one of my kids for something that is really my fault. We know mm -hmm. I do this with my husband. <laughs> I am really, this is going back to saying, I'm sorry. I'm really good now about going to my kids and saying, I want to talk about how like 10 minutes ago, I talked to you. I want to tell you what I was going through and how I wish I had handled it mm -hmm. instead of doing the thing that I did. And I'm Great hoping, advice. I'm hoping that that then, yeah, gives them permission to not be perfect. I don't want them to feel like things, maybe I can like introduce some of the gray a little earlier in their lives. You know, mommy and daddy are not perfect. You don't have mm -hmm. to be perfect. And we all mess up every single day. That's great advice. Speaking of advice, what advice would you give your younger self with regards to when you're first venturing out in your early 20s and uh, pursuing your career, what would you tell your younger self that you wish you would have known back then? I do wish like, sometimes I try to like psychically signal my younger self and be like, hey, everything's gonna be okay. Just so you know, it will all work out. Maybe not the way that you think it will, but it'll work out and everything's gonna be okay. Um, I think that I would actually be very, I think I would actually sort of, um, I think I'd be proud, let my younger self know that I was proud of her for mm. having very defined boundaries. Like, I feel like I've also, I've always been very clear about where I would not, where I would not compromise. And I have, as a young, I, as a young actress, I, I mean, I still do. I walk away from almost every contract negotiation because something inevitably happens that's not okay with me. Um, mm. And uh, I've been told by my lawyers, I'm not allowed to give specific examples anymore. 
<laughs> but because <laughs> I used to. I mean, you will walk away from a negotiation. You'd rather not do the job than actually agree to the terms of the contract. I would say this has happened in every contract I've ever negotiated. And I have also, without fail, always had them come back. So mm. I have, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Love negotiating, coming down you know, the path this far with you. I think now we're gonna have to part ways because if you're not gonna give in on this thing, that's extremely important to me, then um, this is not the world for me to be acting in. And they say, well, fine, then you can't act in this world. And I say, it was so nice to meet you, goodbye. And then um, this is all through reps. And now it's like through emails and stuff. Um, and then without fail, like a day or two later, they're like, so they've decided that you don't have to. Amazing. Or they mm -hmm. have decided that you don't have to move to Canada. Or they have decided that like, there's always, uh, they always do come back. So that's good. So I think I would yeah. tell, and when I was a young actor starting out, people were really hard on me about this. And they said, I shouldn't be saying no so much. And I shouldn't be digging, you know, I needed to be more open to some things that were outside of my control. And like, sometimes, yeah, I get why that would be the impression. But I think I would tell my younger self, like, keep going. Like, you'll that's be amazing. glad about this later. Yeah, that's amazing. And I mean, was that something that your parents instilled in you? Or was that something that you just, you grew up with? That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's because, I mean, I think part of my probably like in my, when I was depressed when I was young, I was also like doing things I shouldn't have been doing and running around with people who were hurting me. And um, so maybe it was also getting to a point in being depressed where I was like, well, my life could keep going this way. Or, oops, I got to plug in my computer. Um, my life could be, could continue this way. Or I could, you know, just... Like, I feel like I, I did hit a rock bottom. So then at, the, at a point, like, there's only there's only up from there. I didn't want to go worse than rock bottom. So then it was like, well, then I'll just try and have it all. When did of, you hit rock bottom? I mean, I was like 16. Hmm. It was like before I was an actress. It just had, okay. a really, I had some extraordinarily rough teen years. And um, at that point, you just made a commitment to yourself that you weren't going to settle and these were your yeah. boundaries and these were... I did get a point where I was like, it can't get worse than this. So I'll just start over. Like for some people, like there's like <clears throat> a great escape and leaving life. And that is the choice. And my choice was like another sort of version of that, which is like, I'm going to leave that life behind and say no to that person that had taken over. And I'm going to like reinvent myself and do this other thing. And it wasn't anything to do with acting. And if anything, acting mm -hmm. like helped me through so much, you know, so much during those years. I don't yeah. even remember how I started talking about this. Yeah, well, I probably like conversation. Wrong. I'm <laughs> no, this is great. And, um, you know, it just reminds me of something borrowed as well uh, with, you know, some of the scenes that we, we were able to shoot together. Um, I just wish we could go back and film again. And people keep asking about like something blue and is it going to happen? And I keep talking to Emily Giffen, the writer of the How book, and she keeps saying that it's going to happen. Um, have you heard anything? Everyone is like, no, but she'd have to write another book where we are a lot older, Colin. I know, right? <laughs> we look great, but we are a lot older than those characters are supposed to be. That's all um, right. But she could just write another book. No, I that movie. 
I mean, I kind of can't believe like the it's it's longevity. Yeah. Like I still get stopped for that movie a lot. Like people yeah. tell me that it's their, their favorite movie a lot, or I get like texts up the wazoo when it's suddenly like I don't know on TV and a top streaming thing or whatever. And like I don't know how we haven't gone back and revisited. Maybe it'd be even better now because there's been like this absurd break between one and two. Yeah. So, what is your take on why something blue hasn't happened? I think in between when we made something borrowed and like shortly thereafter, Netflix just started to blow up and the whole romantic comedy genre just started to shift. And, um, you know, it's just a shame to see that they're, they don't really make these kinds of movies anymore. Like how, how to lose a guy in 10 days and pretty women. And I mean, these kinds of movies, these, there's a huge, still huge audience for these kinds of movies. Why do you think, movies like something blue haven't been made maybe there is something to the fact that when that was coming out that was also such a shift in viewing habits because i mean i think the reason we didn't make the next one is because box office wasn't good enough i think we had to reach a certain threshold to make the second one and we didn't hit it at the box office but then what do you do about the fact that like it did so well in its afterlife yep. after it left the theater. Like, what do you do about these things? By the way, my husband just experienced the same thing in that his show was canceled on Netflix. It started airing on Netflix and several other streaming services. And it like broke, it broke every record for like months. Wasn't it on NBC? Yes. First, And then yes. canceled brought yes. onto Netflix and then boom, right? Yes, and it yeah. became like the most, I mean, it's like, I mean, I'm making up the statistic, like to be perfectly clear on record, I'm making up the statistic, but like it's the most watched show ever. And so, and then, so of course then like everybody starts fighting to, you know, get it and keep it in production and everybody's contracts had lapsed and they had to renegotiate everything. Like it's like getting canceled was the best thing that ever happened for Manifest because, and now it's going to have this incredible new life but it just goes to show that like, we're just not on top of how people watch things because like NBC didn't know what they had. Like mm. it's, it's nuts. The view, like there, there've been like, it's had billions of viewing eyeballs or something. I don't even understand what all of the, the, the like data means, but Josh tells me and I'm like, Oh, that just sounds, it sounds like magical unicorn rainbows. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that maybe something blue was like, yeah, it, something borrowed came out at a time when like viewing habits were changing. And so you can't mm. even really look at the box office in the same way anymore. And exactly. now the pandemic, it's going to all change again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Netflix should just pony up the money and make something blue. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, I would love, I would, I would love to be in it, but I'd also love to see the movie that is frankly 10 years, 10 years later, 11 years later. When did it come out? It was like 11 this years was 2011. Yeah, so, so 11, 11 years. years. I would yeah. love to see those characters that far, but Emily will need to write that book where they're that far. Emily, if you're listening, yeah. you've got a new book that you need to write. Yeah. We'd all be gay. Everybody would come back. So I have a question from a, let's see. Let's see. Uh, oh, just X-Ray. She's asking... Can you still do the dance from something wrong? Hilarious. Um, I wouldn't dare. <laughs> but How long did it take you? And oh my 
much. Well, I just been, I just joined Instagram and my first post was the behind the scenes of Kate and me learning the dance. Yes, I just saw that. So a few weeks ago. How long did it take you and Kate to learn it? Oh Do my that. gosh. I mean, I don't think we had we had a wonderful choreographer and it didn't take us that many rehearsals. She's an incredible dancer. Um and if that's something that I feel like is in probably a lot of women's DNA from growing up, is like the dances we would choreograph with our girlfriends. And so I also feel like the moves were all very uh, like gleaned from those experiences. I can't, I mean, I probably could do the dance, but I would never do that to myself just because, I mean, I was, I was so much younger then. <laughs> I'd had so much more rehearsal. Yeah. I mean, I think you should do just, you know, a few TikTok videos of <laughs> right? maybe some and pitch to me. I was like, I'm going to leave it yeah. to that. My 30 year old self. Um, next question is what was your favorite scene from something borrowed? It was the scene where he says, I mean, I don't know about like favorite scene in terms of like uh, my acting or something, but like the, the scene for me was that, the scene where Dex said, wasn't that drunk? Wasn't that drunk. Yeah. To me, that was like, that's the heart of the whole story. My favorite scene was when we kiss in the taxi cab. Oh my gosh, that was that was a good. Scene. I mean, it was a magical moment. That is it a was good incredible scene. Yeah, it was that and a difficult scene because you put me in the car and then you come around the other side and I got like, wait, is that? Ah, there's Emily. Oh What's up, Emily? <laughs> Are you listening? We're yes, Em, come on, we need you. We need I'm you. Twelve years down the line, but only you can do it. Um, yeah, I remember too, like I had such a short amount of time to like, try to tell the story of like what I was feeling while you were running around the car. We'll never forget that. Yeah. Your performance was absolutely breathtaking. And, you know, I started teaching an acting class here yeah. and I use one of the clips that I use, cause we talk about authenticity and are you truly living your authentic life? And the scene that I choose was when we were in the Hamptons and after you walk down the street and then you have that realization, that epiphany, that Dex is the one and that for the longest time, you weren't being true to yourself or Rachel wasn't being true to herself. And she finally realizes, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go there and finally tell the man that I love how I really feel. And it's such a beautiful moment. And I still get chills just even thinking about it when you come running back in the rain and you're just pouring your heart out to me. And in my acting class, when I teach this, it is, I mean, I just, I feel like I'm right back there. And the response is always, that is the most authentic and real performance of like, that people say that they've ever seen. And uh, it's just beautiful. It's just it's beautiful. It's a heartbreaking scene though. My God, oh, oh, it gets no. just, it always gives me the EBGBs. Like he says, he, 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 he kills her. I can't. He kills her. And I it was can't. so cold. That water was so cold. I, yes. I do remember that oh. fake rain out there. Yes. It was freezing. We were the such a with me in his little, like, yellow, like, water, like, his rainproof suit, his waterproof suit. And he would, like, run beside me so that I wasn't running alone in my little sundress in, like, the winter time in the Hamptons. It wasn't winter, but it was cold. Yeah, it was cold. I mean, it was April and it was still, it was probably like 40 degrees. Yeah, 40 degrees. it was freezing, but all for the sake of creating our art. Yeah, that's the, that is the sacrifice I will make. Yes, always, always, always. Um, next question is, and this is a very important one and be truthful. Uh, this is from 
Litsaki. She's asking, is Colin a good kisser? Oh, obviously. <laughs> Have you seen the movie? I mean, <laughs> best kiss ever, right? Uh, but tell me, honestly, don't you think kissing in kissing in movies is like, it's like an alien planet experience? Oh, yeah. Total out-of-body experience. It's, it's like, okay, 4,000 million people are watching right now. Do you remember me telling you, like, could you please take your hand and hold this part of my face so that we're not looking at my double chin? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, guess the angle. Can you just put your hand there? And we're just going to block this. Yeah. Yes. And as a fellow actor, I'm going to just help out my castmate as much as I can. I was glad I was able to, to help you out. But you don't have anything that... Anyone would not want to look at you. Well, so beautiful. And, and I yeah, just have to say again, as I was mentioning in that audition process, so nerve wracking, but that scene where I were sitting there watching the band that we're going to be choosing for mine and um, Darcy's wedding. And I have to turn and ask you the question, why didn't you ever tell me that you were in love with me in law school. Uh, and it was that scene. So there was, I don't know if you remember this, there was the three scenes and I remember this, like it was yesterday. The first two scenes, I felt we rocked them. And then that third scene, it just fell flat. And I was just having trouble connecting with the words on the page. And I don't know if you remember, but Luke Greenfield, the director, God bless him. He came over and he just knelt down next to me. And I, I don't think you heard this because- I don't know the story. He whispered it to me. He said, he just said, Colin, um, you're doing great. You're doing amazing. And this is what's so great about Luke. Super supportive, just amazing director. He said, you know what? Just fuck the words on the page. Just no disrespect to Emily or to, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the screenwriter. We had a few different screenwriters on there. Yeah. But he said, just, just tell her what you would really tell the woman that you had these feelings for. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. I sat back down and they said, okay, whenever you're ready. And I turned and I just turned and I looked at you and all I did was look into your eyes and you have such expressive and emotive eyes. And I was able to just so connect with you. And I don't always, I'm not always able to do that with other actors, but you're so open, so giving, so vulnerable that something just lit up inside of me and I was immediately connected to you. And I just saw, it was like, I saw your soul and you helped me so much in that scene where I'm even just getting emotional talking about it right now. Cause it was like one of the most magical moments in my career where I just felt like so connected to you on such a deep, intimate level where like, I was like channeling Shakespeare. It was like, <laughs> You're the most beautiful woman I've ever met. And I don't want to, I, there's no other woman I'd ever want to be with. And I want to spend the rest of you, my life with you. And you make me want to be a better man. I can't remember what I was saying, uh, yeah. but it was just like, we were, had that magical moment. And then when we finished it, and this is what I love about acting where time stops, it feels like you're in another yes. universe. Yes. And then afterwards we looked at each other and we were just like, we both turned and looked and I just, you could see Emily and Molly and Luke's faces and they were just like, <laughs> okay. no, we got it. We got it. We got I it. Think we're good. 
we're yeah. good, we're good. And I was just like, and I w remember walking out of that room knowing that even if I didn't get that role, I had one of the most amazing magical experiences of my entire life. And I just want to say thank you again for helping me have that type of amazing experience and for really truly um, helping catapult my career to what it's been. You are an incredible actress. You are incredibly talented. But more than anything, I think you're a beautiful person. And I just can't thank you enough for having the experience of being able to work with you. Likewise. I can't even follow that. <laughs> <laughs> just likewise. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you here. And before we wrap up here, I feel like I could talk with you for hours. Absolutely. Um, what we do here at the end of the show is uh, brought to you by my good friend, Todd Courtney's company called Picticular. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. It's a, it's a movie watching app that allows you to, uh, if someone says, hey, you, you should watch this movie, a lot of the times, or even when people say, hey, Jennifer, uh, I saw, you know, I know you're in this movie. Where can I watch it? And it's like, I, there's so many different platforms out there. We, it's hard to know where to watch all of this stuff. I was having this talk so, with my husband like two days ago. Exactly. So Picticular is an app that allows you to just go to Picticular, type in either your name or a movie's name, and it'll show you where you can watch it. And right there, there's links to Netflix or Amazon or to whatever platform it's playing on. So it's super easy to be able to watch whatever movie or TV show that you want to watch. So this part of the show is brought to you by my good friend Todd's app called Picticular. And if you haven't downloaded it yet, you can go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download it. And this is the particular pick six. So the first question here is, what is your favorite movie of all time, Jennifer? Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, I haven't seen that. <gasps> see it, see it, see it. There was nothing more romantic. It was also the first time I'd ever seen a man's tush outside of like catching my dad, getting out of the shower or something. Was this in black and white? No, but it was early. I mean, it's 19... 67 i'm making up a year okay 1968 something like that okay and uh it was when i was falling in love with shakespeare when i was in like somewhere between fourth and sixth grade mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow yeah. very early amazing all right awesome choice i'll definitely have to check it out second question is what was your favorite movie when you were growing up as a kid Labyrinth. Oh, who's in that? Jennifer Connelly, whom I then worked with. And the whole time I was like, oh, I can't believe I'm working <laughs> with a lady from Labyrinth. <laughs> What's Labyrinth about? Labyrinth is about a woman who uh, is, she makes a mistake and she's got to fix it. And she goes running into like this sort of upside down world full of trolls and fairies and doors that talk and um she's being guided by david bowie in tights i highly mm. recommend it <laughs> sort of her like hero and foe mm -hmm. okay awesome and next question is what is your favorite comedy or romantic comedy can i say something borrowed yes of course <laughs> I'll say something borrowed all right definitely we'll take it do you have a movie that you are embarrassed to say you love? Oh, hmm. 
Well, I don't know that it's embarrassing, but I think like one of my favorite movies ever is Practical Magic. And I don't think that people ah. like, it's like, it's like, that's a good, it's a good movie. <laughs> it's a really good movie. Bette Midler, right? Well, is no, it... Practical Magic is Nicole Kidman. Okay. Sandra Bullock and their witch sisters in Salem. Ah, uh, okay. Or near Salem. Okay. Out, they, they don't reference Salem so much in the movie. But okay. they mention um, the Boston airport, so there you go. Okay. And what do you love about that movie? I have a very, I'm very close to my sister. And we saw that movie when we were, must have been when we were in college. And we were like, yes, this is like, we've been seen. We've been seen as sisters. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So you could relate. Yes, the sisterhood. All right. Have you ever... Put a or cast a uh, a spell on anyone? Oh my gosh, of course! Isn't that what we do all the time when we manifest? Yes, I tell my kids all the time. It, everything's like a spell. Like anything that yeah. you say, you put out <clears throat> into the world. It's a spell. You just gotta, yeah, put it out there. Put some intention behind it. It all works. Yes, love it. It's scientifically sound. Love it. And who is your favorite actor or male character in a film? My favorite actor is Josh Dallas, my husband, and that is the truth. Which is part of, of course. Of um, and character in a film? That's a good one. I'm really into Dumbledore. <laughs> He's my favorite film character, and my husband has not played him, but maybe someday. Okay. And who is your favorite actress or character, female character in a film? My favorite actress. This changes all the time because I'm always watching actresses because I want to steal from them. And work with them and like right now i'm really really into jillian anderson like i just Ooh. think she can do no wrong like, i just love she everything really. that she everything yeah. she creates but there's no specific character because i just will watch anything that she's in yeah she transformed do you watch the crown did you see her play margaret thatcher like anybody else playing that role it would have been like too big and she's not she's perfect she's she just she just lives her yeah oh. Yeah. Yeah. What was it really quick? What was it like working with Julia Roberts? Oh, dreamy. Yeah. Julia, yeah. Julia, I feel like she was my, like, um, she's like my standard by which like others are compared. Cause she was my, she was, she was my first. So, you know, she was the first person on set. She was the last person to leave at the end of the day. She made every crew member feel like the most important person in the room. She had the flu and got bad news and still gave a performance off camera for hundreds of extras just so that they could like scan the crowd and get reactions. Like she's a real professional and she absolutely took me under her wing and helped me like navigate things early on with, I mean, this was my first movie and I was like, Oh, this is, wow. this is big. It's coming out. This is like a big red car. I mean, she came and got me out of the car to walk the carpet with me when I was like, I, I was like, I don't know about this carpet situation. Amazing. <laughs> me on the carpet and she came and like she was like i'll hold your hand and i remember whispering to her and this was like through the whole press process and everything she like really was my champion and um supported me and fought for me and protected me and um because i was like a baby and she i but i remember leaning over to her on the red carpet and being like this is because i just could not believe the amount of cameras and I said, does it ever get any better? And she was like, no, it's always terrifying. <laughs> so I remember that, like, if I'm about to step on a carpet and you're like, especially when you're getting to things, like, you're like, you're like, I'm at the Oscars. Like, that's, that, that will put a feeling in your stomach. 
Oh yeah. I just think like that of Julia. I'm like if Julia Roberts says that it's always terrifying, then like we're all gonna be fine. Yes. Yeah. Much agreed. Much agreed. And lastly, Jennifer, before you go, a uh, friend of mine, Marisa Costa, is wanting to know, and a big part, big reason why I do this and so many of the other things and why I wrote my book is because I love to inspire other people. I love to give people hope that if they have a dream, if they have something that they care about, that life is too short to waste a second to not to pursue it and not to go after it. And uh, just after listening to you today, day talk about having these boundaries and, and not settling i think you've inspired a ton of people here tonight and uh marisa wants to know as we uh wrap up here what inspires you you know what i mean i because i've thought about this recently like people inspire me this is why i i mean i study people for a living and they change me all the time and i feel like i I find permission in characters and in the actions of the people around me. Um, I feel like there is like, we're all, we're all on this planet together for a reason. Like it's a team sport. This life thing is a team sport. And so I feel like it's, it's for me just about, yeah, connecting to other people. Sometimes they're not real, but the real ones are even better. Well, they're real in our souls and in our spirits. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for Again, absolutely adore you. Likewise. Love you so much. Miss you. I'm giving you a big virtual hug. Yes. Stay warm in Chicago. We will. We will. And uh, wish you all the best with the show. Everyone, if you haven't watched Pivoting, by all means, you have to check it out. It's on Fox on Thursdays at 9.30 Eastern time, right? 9.30 on the coasts, 8.30 Central. And if you don't catch it live, because who watches things live apparently anymore, right. um, there's like the Fox, there's a Fox app, and it's also on Hulu. Awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome. All right, well, Emily, get to work. We need to, uh, we need to shoot ready. something blue here sometime very soon. Huh? Jennifer, wish you all the best. Love you. Love you. So good to see your face. Good to see you too. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Man, this is so incredible. Isn't she so adorable? I just want to thank you for, uh, want to thank each and every one of you for being here. And uh, hopefully you got as much out of this as I did. Uh, we're going to just keep continuing this, this amazing season of, uh, of incredible actors and other inspirational folk. And man, I so wish and hope we have the opportunity to, uh, to film something blue because uh, I've, you know, much like all of you, I've been, it's been a long time and I think we all want to know what happens with Dex and Rachel and Darcy and Ethan and, uh, the rest of the squad. And, uh, just want to say that, um, I just appreciate each and every one of you again for coming up here every Monday night. I know this is a special edition of coffee with Colin and, uh, we've got another amazing guest coming up next week. So stay tuned for that. And uh, for those of you out there, again, who have a dream, who if you have something that is, uh, you know, something you've always been wanting to do in your life, I'm sure that you, after listening to this episode, that uh, hopefully you've gotten some inspiration to know that, you know, it's all about going after what you truly care about. And what I loved about what Jennifer said tonight was that 
you've got to have your boundaries. And when you set your boundaries and you let people know who you really are and what you care about, the right people will keep coming around. The right project will come back around to you. And I think that's something that we could all take with us. Uh, not anything else uh, other than that. And uh, man, I just, I'm going to go have a drink because this was an incredible interview and I'm just going to go uh, have a great rest of my night. I hope you guys do too. All right. Thanks for being here. We'll see you guys all very soon. Take care.